Over two decades in software testing, Amy Reichert has trained the best of them. Um, yeah, I guess with uh, perseverance and, and a calm and assertive attitude. She knows how to tap into their strengths. Well, you have to keep in mind, you know, when you're training, you can't out-muscle one of them. So regardless of who you are, you're not going to force one to do anything. She even knows the power of motivation, and snacks can go a long way. Sliced apples, carrots, they make cookies, you know, cookies, treats. Oh, right. We're talking about horses. Amy Reichert also trains horses. Probably should have led with that. At any rate, just like managing software testers, horses have different personalities and require different ways of communicating. Oh, one has broken just about every piece of equipment I had, <laughs> just to go in a simple circle to the left, because they were so right-handed, they refused to go to the left. He broke everything I owned, from the bridle to the reins to the, the harness to everything, so just because he didn't want to go to the left. You have to be clever, not necessarily manipulative, but clever in communicating and, and encouraging them to do what you want them to do without having to force them. Amy's training was in dressage, which involves very specific motions and movements. Perhaps that's not too dissimilar from a software launch. A simple yet coordinated balance of tasks falling right into place just so. Everything is very focused on finesse. You don't see the cues. You don't really see the rider doing anything. You don't see all the work they're putting into it. You just see the reaction of the horse and the steps that they take. Um, so similar to testing or release, you don't see the actions of the testers. And some you see a little bit of the developer's actions, but mostly you don't see all the background work that goes into it, like support and testing. This is the Ready, Test, Go podcast brought to you by Applause. I'm David Carty. Today's guest is horse wrangler and software testing expert, Amy Reichert. Over the years, Amy has done it all, working as an analyst, team lead, engineer, and tutor. Amy prides herself on performing thorough testing in half of the allotted time. Now she is a QA tutor and consultant for Dev Mountain and a writer, teaching the next generation of testers how to get their work done more efficiently. Let's talk with Amy. Today we're talking about having effective two-day testing periods, but first I'd like to get an idea of the industry trend. So what has that been like in terms of how much testing time an organization has and how dramatically has that been reduced over the years? Well, when I first started like 20 some years ago, we were more in a waterfall methodology. So you would do a much larger release. So there was much more planning, much more documentation, the coding period, and then the testing period. So you'd get a month, you know, four to six weeks to actually test an application through. And you'd be testing a lot more stuff, but you would be, you'd have enough time to cover it, usually. Over the years, however, though, as you moved into agile methodology and then continuous um, de deployment, you know, even faster than agile, you get less and less time. So and with agile, if you have any regression testing at all, it's usually much condensed. So it's gone anywhere from a week, you know, five days, 10 days. And to me, the most common amount of time I actually get is about two days tops. Gotcha. And you can't test everything in this time frame, right? That's for sure. No. So, so how no. should you begin to prioritize those tests to be able to make sure you're getting the most important things done? 
Well, I think it depends on the experience of your team. So if you have an experienced testing team or at least maybe not so much experience, but um, familiarity with the application, both the back end and the front end, um, the more, you know, I don't know, I guess experience or understanding of the application the tester has, you can go off script and basically use different techniques. So instead of testing script by script by script and prioritizing those scripts, you can prioritize the functional areas you want to test. Right, because they know where the bodies are buried, right? They know where the problems are with the product. So they can begin to kind of probe in ways that maybe a lesser, a less experienced tester might not be able to uh, jump into and try that out. Yes, exactly. The more familiar you are with it, you know where the fragile parts of the code is, where the parts of the code the customers use the most, and where those kind of fragile gaps are between connections or integrated pieces of the application. Right. And you mentioned the customer component, the user component as well. You can prioritize according to customer feedback. So, you know, what sorts of defects or areas might take precedence there? Well, I would usually like to, you know, talk to a support person um, who's familiar with the app, who's taking in the calls from customers and find out just how annoying certain sections of the application are. Where do they find the most defects? What are the most critical defects they find? And make sure you always look for those so they don't repeat. No one wants to experience it twice. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's talk about running some tests uh, parallel with development. Now, this often means that a developer is running unit tests, which they might want to do or might not want to do. Uh, so how can you sort of work to build trust between developers and testers to get them talking and collaborating toward that same end goal um, and help the testing team really deal with that tight time crunch that we're talking about? I usually start by, you know, directly communicating with the developers. So finding out how they want to be contacted is the first step because some people do not like to be surprised. You know, when you work in the office, you don't want to just walk over and show up. You know, do they prefer you to IM them, you know, send them a text message, send them an email and then or schedule time with them, whatever works for them. So it doesn't interrupt their train of thought when they're coding. Is so what I usually don't do. jump up from behind the computer screen and, and yell surprise. No, and all of a sudden, no, no, they don't. OK, that's Most not the way do to not go. Like Noted. OK. But if you contact them and and you show interest. So like if I've gone in and I've done some analysis on a issue I see, for example, when we're testing in a short time frame, and I think I see an issue, then I want to go to them and say, hey, is this really an issue or is this something in the setup of the test server? You know, can you show me how it works in the back end? And I think the more open you are to learning, but doing some of the work first, I think you get a better response. And how do you deal with it if uh, you're not getting a lot of receptiveness back uh, from the developer? Well, often I'll, I'll, you know, there's usually more than one. <laughs> so I'll go to another developer sure. and see if I can give further. Uh, and I'll circle back and say, okay, you know, give me some advice on what I can troubleshoot on my own and then bring to you, you know, and, and see if that helps them. Because you'll get some developers who feel like if you ask them a question, then they're doing the testing for you, which isn't really true. But, you know, I can do more research and then come back. And I will do that if I can. But yeah. 
All right. If not, I find another developer. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Might you as know. well uh, cast a wide net, right? Exactly. Great, great. So you're already rushing to get all these tests done in 48 hours. So how does exploratory testing fit into that? Like we talked about, I'm sure if you're an experienced tester, you might have some particular areas that you might aim for based on your past experience with the product. But, you know, does it vary from one testing period to the next? Or, you know, do you try to fit some of that into run parallel with automated tests? You know, what's the best way to approach that? What I really like to do is use exploratory testing in conjunction with automated smoke tests or automated test regression tests if they if those exist so when the developers are testing i mean we usually start with starting the automation but we don't wait for it to end we just go ahead and jump in with the exploratory testing because automated tests will fail sometimes for no particular reason and that sucks down a lot of time to figure out why they failed if it's really for a script reason or a actual defect so what we'll do is we'll kick them off and then we will go ahead and start our exploratory testing. And that kind of helps you save time because then I can take the exploratory tests and use them to cover a lot more test coverage. If that makes sense, I can cover the UI, the back end, the front end, all of it without interrupting my flow. Right. And part of what we're talking about is a logistics issue where you just have so many tests to get through. But then you're also dealing with people, right? So 48 right. hours, you hope everybody's up to the task. You hope everybody's ready to go. But realistically, you could run into a motivation issue or some something similar to that that can really drag down productivity at a at a really tough time. So is there anything that you can do to incentivize or help push uh, testers through the process through to the finish line if they're running into difficulties? Oh, I kind of try to make a game out of it. So, it, you know, make a game out of, not necessarily defects, but a game out of who can find the biggest defect, who can find the most critical um, defect in the program, or who can actually take down the system, make it hang, you know, make the connections fail, whatever it is. Um, you know, especially security testing, that's always fun. Who can break into it, you know, take it down. So we kind of make a game out of it. So it gives people some motivation because, you know, I can't usually offer them more money, <laughs> you know, sure. and that's not always motivating. Some people are motivated again, like horses, with mm -hmm. food, you know, encouragement, you know, vacations, whatever you want. But that's not always realistic. So I try to make a game out of it, you know, and when people find really good defects, then at least internally to the testing team or the software development team, if I'm agile, we kind of celebrate that. All right, so kind of like a like a bug hunt. Yeah, like a bug hunt. But we don't call it that because it offends developers. <laughs> so <laughs> sure. We call it a game or a challenge, right? Right, right. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So so let's say we're hitting the stretch run, right? Final couple hours in the testing period, and there's still so much to test. Uh, how do you hit the gas pedal and make sure you're getting to all that important stuff that's left before you uh, get to launch? I think you just keep going. It takes some uh, perseverance, you know, and staying calm and not getting sucked into the chaos and just steady on testing. Use your exploratory tests, you know, have someone check in the automation. We just keep soldiering on, I guess you'd call it. 
Gotcha. Now, let's say you do have a hair on fire testing emergency, you know, something that is uh, definitely causing a problem, something out of the norm. How do you handle that? Is it possible to ask for more time? Under what circumstances do you ask for more time? How do you kind of uh, maneuver that situation? Well, when you find a problem like that, where everyone's running around in circles um, with their hair on fire, um, you usually try to stop, you know, and, and instead of having the developer immediately jump in and fix it, that we actually sit down as a team and discuss it, at least for a few minutes. You know, make sure we're not making any obvious mistakes that we don't see right away, that we would cause more defects, and then we won't be able to release. So depending on how long it takes to fix and test, get asked for a day or half a day. Usually it depends on how bad the defect is, whether you get it or not. But um, if there's if there's at least one of those hair on fire defects, then usually you can push for at least a few more hours to make sure it really is fixed and doesn't cause any additional repercussions. Right. So it might even sound counterintuitive, but in order to help get the job done, sometimes you have to slow down to make sure you're not making the situation worse. Exactly. It's very important to slow down and make sure you talk it over before you make changes that maybe based on the development experience or the tester experience, they don't understand the implications of, and to make sure that's well thought out before we fix it. Right. And I know you mentioned perseverance before, but if you could pick one key characteristic that a tester really needs to help deal with the pressure of these situations because it can be pressure packed sometimes. Uh, what is that characteristic that you would pick? I think the ability to remain calm. Um, not, you know, asleep, but calm and be able to keep chaos at bay. So you can be calm and still working hard and doing your thing, calm and focused, but you're not responding to the chaos or the hair on fire and you're not going to panic, stress out. And let me ask a uh, devil's advocate question, if you don't mind, Amy. Uh, mm -hmm. We say that we're getting used to, you know, two-day testing periods. If it seems like things are getting through that shouldn't be or that testing is insufficient, you know, how do you kind of go about trying to find more time for future testing periods? You know, how do you kind of circle the wagons in order to get what you need to properly test the app and make sure things are ready for launch uh, in the future? Well, I would like to do, and I'm a big proponent of continuous testing. So continuously regression testing. So when I'm, so say we don't get all the tests done, then when we're starting in our next sprint, our next iteration, while we're waiting for code to come across or stories to come across for testing, then I like everyone to start regression testing. So let's finish all the tests we didn't finish, see if we find anything. And let's just take it, create a test suite and just start on it and everybody runs, picks tests as they can and runs them while we're going through development. So that you're always looking for defects. You're always looking for failures. You don't wait because there may be sometimes you don't get the two days. So, you know, if you continuously test, there's less chance you might get a defect. And in what other ways are testers like horses? Oh, stubborn. <laughs> I think can be stubborn. You know, testers can be, well, I, I kind of agree, but you have testers who work really rapidly and can cover a lot of ground and do it productively, but they may miss some things. And then you'll have testers or horses 
who have to have every little thing in place. And if they take a piece of functionality, they have to break it down to the minute level. And so they're getting something tested takes a great deal of time, but it's actually more thoroughly done, if that makes sense. So, you know, you have to kind of balance between speed and thorough testing. Okay, Amy, lightning round here. I'm going to ask you a few quick questions. First off, in one sentence, can you tell me what digital quality means to you? Um, digital quality means achieving exceptional customer experience with an application. What will digital experiences look like five years from now? Well, I think you'll see people using applications easier, you know, on mobile devices primarily. And then you'll have a lot of intersection with AI or machine learning and virtual reality. Those will all be kind of wrapped together to produce data and more data analytics. But I think they'll be helpful. You know, you'll get digital apps that are maybe solve problems for you or help you solve problems. What is your favorite app to use in your downtime? Actually, the app I like the most, and it's still kind of clunky, but it's gotten better, is the ESPN Fantasy Football app. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's very handy. You know, and like I said, it's still a little clunky. Could use some improvement, but it's gotten a lot better. What is something that you are hopeful for? Oh, less tragedy, less war, less, less distractions that don't need to be there. I hear you on that. All right, Amy. Well, this has been fun. Thank you so much for joining yeah. us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'd like to once again thank our guest, Amy Reichert. You can read some of her work at applause.com slash blog. We'd also like to thank you for tuning into our first episode, and there's lots more to come. If you'd like to reach out, please contact us at podcasts at applause.com. That's plural, podcasts at applause.com. Until next time.